0: Doesn't it overwhelm you at times when you realize how much he truly loves you? (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous that he would. I know you guys. (laughs) But I know me. (laughs) And sometimes it's just so overwhelming. Turn turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. We spent quite a bit of time in James 1. I did that on purpose somewhat. (laughs) It wasn't totally on purpose in that there's so much to cover in James 1. But I did it on purpose because I I just wanted you to get a feel for this book. I want you to, to grasp the severity of this book, the importance of this book. But at the same time, I wanted you to get to know James, the man, the one that wrote this book. To, to 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 kind of, again, some of you guys have preconceived ideas about James, and they might be true. But when you really get to know his heart, as you learn this book, you see that he's a man of love. He truly is. Oftentimes we're afraid of James. Some of you guys are like, ah, oh, that's my favorite book because it just tells it like it is. And true that, he does. He tells it like it is. But man, there is so much love throughout that, this whole book. And I wanted you to get a feel for that. But as we move on to the next chapter, <laughs> it's quite possible that we will pick up the pace somewhat. As we continue on in this book, I can't guarantee you that, that we will like cover more. But today we're going to cover more. At least I did in first service. But I truly want to give each portion of scripture that we are to cover, I want to give it due diligence. I I don't want to skim over certain things. I want to be able to go deep, if that's where it's taking us, to go deep. I I I know that that again he's been he's been teaching us and we continue in the theme of practical Christian living how we are to to live this Christian life and he wants us to go deeper. He wants us to, to mature in him, in Christ. That's what he wants. James continues to give us some practical application And that's what this book is all about, practical application to live a practical Christian life. It's that simple. And again, some people think it's so like hardcore, but it's that straight up. It's not complicated. He doesn't make it that complicated. Maturing as a Christian is one of those things that James really wants or is really trying to help the readers understand. And we saw that in the first chapter. There was a lot for us to try to, to take in in that first chapter of what he really is trying to convey to the reader. And, and, and he was dealing a lot with the trials and the, and the temptations and how we are to view them, how we are to put them in perspective when life just comes at us, boom, 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 all over the place. How we are to put in perspective these trials and these temptations that come our way so that we can grow. Because the more we hear the Word of God, hopefully the desire is that it will help us to do the Word of God. And the more you do the Word of God, the more you will will grow. And there's something to be said about having your faith tested. (laughs) Because it causes you to grow. It brings about growth, (laughs) if you really let it. If you put things in perspective... It matures you to go on. In finishing up the last chapter, the last few verses of the last chapter, James told us what pure and undefiled religion looks like. And even though we didn't get to get in depth with those two verses, with those verses, the just of those two verses there as he's showing us what pure and undefiled religion looks like, the just of it is that we are to take care of those who have or, or could in no way ever possibly pay you back. They, have, they, they, they just can't. And that's the just of what pure and undefiled religion looks like, that you're not expecting a reward, recompense. You're not expecting any kind of compensation for your good works because we have been called... Two good works as it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. At the same time, as we are to do for others who can't pay us back, we are to keep ourselves unspotted and uncontaminated from the things of this world. And he continues in in that theme as we're going to go into that next chapter. The way the world sees things and does things is totally different. Than the way the church is supposed to see and do things. And so he's going to continue on. In that theme. Chapter 2. 1 through 13. Of James. My brethren. Do not hold the faith. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory. With partiality. For if there For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there. Or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among you. And become judges with evil thoughts. Listen my, dear, my beloved brethren. Has not God chosen the poor of this world. To be rich in faith. And heirs of the kingdom. Which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Do not the rich oppress you. And drag you into courts, do they not blaspheme the, the that na- that noble name by which you were, you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well, but if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law. And shall stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. To the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Are you ready for this? (laughs) That evil laugh. (laughs) It's a hard portion of scripture. Believe you me. I've had to study this whole thing for this past week. I've been dealing with this issue this whole week it seems like. Knowing that I would be teaching it. And it's like, ah, can't we just skip this portion of scripture talking about partiality and and, and favoritisms and, and things like that? Can't we just skim over that one, Zeke? And go? let's move on to something happier. <laughs> no. Can't do it. Again, it has been such an amazing time for me personally going through this portion of scripture. And I hope it's an amazing time for you. I hope it's a convicting time for you. <laughs> Just like it's been for me, because I don't want to be the only one convicted. <laughs> but understand, as he starts this portion of Scripture, that he says, My brethren, you've you got to, again, keep in mind that, that, that James is still addressing those who are saved. Again, as we just read, he is talking to those who are saved. The things that he says, he is talking to the church. He he is addressing the church, his peeps, the ones he loves, his brethren. And he wants to see them mature. Even in this area of life. (laughs) And so he paints this picture. As he kind of lures them in. He paints this picture of something... That should never, ever happen within the church. Showing partiality. Showing favoritism. Having a bias. And is it possible that he is spelling this out, having to deal with this, because he had heard that that had been going on in and among them? Is it possible that's why he's having to address this, because he heard it was happening, or still happening, in the places that people were at, that believers were at, and he's having to deal with it head on. He's having to confront it, and again, some people would rather just skip a situation like this, a subject like this, and say, we don't want to deal with it, but it is, it is important it was important enough to put into scripture and as we go chapter by chapter verse by verse we cover these kinds of issues if partiality or favoritism happens outside the church that's one thing it's almost like it's supposed to happen outside the church that's the way the world functions they they show favoritism Over people all the time. It looks bad enough when we see it outside the church. But to have it in the church, it just seems so out of place. It should seem so out of place to have favoritism inside the church. (laughs) There should be no place for it, ever. Not within the church. If it's if it's going on outside the church, it should not be happening like that inside the church. And as we're reading here, again, looking at the language, the, the tone in which he is sharing this, he is not trying to spare people's feelings here. He is not trying to understand the people that he's writing to going, well, I, just, I guess I kind of understand what you feel, how you feel. Yeah, I guess there's times that, yeah, you have to show partiality and you have to, like, show favoritism, have a body. No, he's not, like, trying to relate to them in that way. What he's saying, bluntly, is it is not acceptable. Point. Punto. It is not acceptable in the church for anyone to show partiality. There is no way that you can justify partiality in the church. And so James is not trying to, to like, well, geez, you know, trying to make light of it. No, he is going to hit it straight on. But understand something, at the same time, that as we're looking at this, that James had to deal with this subject himself firsthand. James was a good Jewish boy. (laughs) He came from a Jewish family, a Jewish nation. And the Jews love to show partiality. They make no bones about it. You are either a Jew or you're not. (laughs) Plain and simple. You are a Gentile. You're like maybe, no, you're probably below a dog if you're a Gentile. So you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. That's it. So he understands about partiality. When Before he became a believer, having to deal with it. After he became a believer, still having to deal with it. Living in Jerusalem now, being the head of the church in Jerusalem, he is still dealing with partiality. If you go to Acts, in, in, as you see, it, Peter goes out, and he goes to some, some Gentiles, and they get saved, and he comes back to the church, and they're having to deal with like, Peter, are you serious? You went into a Gentile's house and then you ate with them? Man, they're having to deal with that. That was like a (laughs) no-no. That's showing partiality, isn't it? And, and, And then a little later when Paul's on the scene and he's going out there and Jew and Gentile is getting saved, he is still having to deal with it as it comes back to the church. Being the head of the church, he is still having to deal with partiality. So he was no stranger to this. It was part of his culture. Being a Jew meant that you were partial to, to the Jewish people and everybody else you look down on. I think that because he has had to deal with this in his own life, he saw the effects that being partial brings, as God was growing him up, as God was maturing him in this area of life, <laughs> he could be straight up and talk about the situation, understanding, I know how easy it is. I know how easy it is to, to cast judgment on people by the outward appearance. Oh, he, 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 he's had to live that in his life, and so he could be straight up, he could, he could talk about this. And so on the subject of partiality, uh, uh, bias, prejudice, James says with authority in the the first verse, and, and I'll read it to you out of the Amplified, after he says, my brethren, he says, do not attempt to hold and practice the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, together with snobbery. That's the way it says it in there. Do not be a snob because you're a Christian and judging and showing partiality to other people. Now, some of you would be, let's just use the word partiality. We don't use that one that often. It sounds cleaner than being a snob. No, you snob. (laughs) Don't be a snob about that either. Trying to clean it up. Trying to make it sound a little better. He just kind of like gets to the point in this subject. He stays on point in regards to pure and undefiled religion. What it looks like and what it doesn't look like. He's staying on point and saying we cannot be snobs. Of who we judge because of what we have and what they don't have. Or what they look like and what we look like. The church should be the one place, the only place, and not just the church here as a building. The church in general, throughout the world, the church should be the one place where everyone should feel equal. No one's better than anybody else. Doesn't matter what you, what who you are outside this place, or within Christ, or outside of Christ. It doesn't matter. When you are in Christ, it doesn't matter who you are, what position you hold, even within the church. The guy on the stage is no better than anyone else. There is an equality that should go across the board. Oh, we're called to different places, but we are equal. And we are to treat people with equality because in the church, that is the the place, the one place where people should feel safe, no matter what they look like or who they are. Because the church needs to operate, function differently than the world does. Especially in this subject. The church should not function the way the the world functions outside. A a couple of studies ago, when we were in James chapter 1, when he talked about the rich and the poor, and he talked about exalting the, the poor and, and humbling the rich. And, and I shared with you that in that instance, what, what, what we were trying to, to learn, what, what I think was coming out of the scriptures, is that God wants to put everybody on the same playing field. That He will humble the rich and He will raise up the poor so that they are equal when it comes to trials. That everybody goes through trials and any, everybody needs to trust, trust God through their trials and in their trials. But I don't think that it's just in trials that he wants to level the playing field. It is in everything. And in, in, in concerning, the, concerning the church here. If we hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I love the way they amplify. If you, if, if you let me go back to it. If you attempt to hold or practice the faith... There is no way that you could, you, or you should, be showing partiality at the same time. They, they don't go together. It's like oil and water. They should never be mixed. If you're trying to to, to to hold the faith. But he says, if we hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and he says that on purpose. He says that for a reason, because if anyone is going to receive glory... It is the Lord Himself. No one else should receive glory. No one should be receiving any kind of favoritism, partiality, lifting up in any way, shape, or form. The Bible says, Let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Him alone. There is no room for glory or to raise somebody else up in that way. If we hold fast to the Lord, or to, the, to our faith, there is just one who is to be lifted up. And not man. It's not for man. <laughs> it's the King of glory. It's the Lord of glory. Who, who deserves to be lifted up. And look, look at the scenario that, that James gives us here. We have two different people. They, 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 they come from two different backgrounds, distinct backgrounds. They are polar opposites when it comes to social status or class. Totally different. One is treated with favoritism and partiality. And the other is treated with disdain and contempt. A judgment has been made on appearance alone. It doesn't tell us here that they knew the person that came in with the ring and all the bling. It doesn't tell us that they knew who he was, what he was all about, knew of him. doesn't tell us. Just by appearance alone, without knowing anything of who they are, any facts, two different people walk in and right away judge it. Judgment has been made. It's a scenario of merely outward appearance. And it is quite possible that both of these men, in this hypothetical that he's giving, it is quite possible that both both of these men were used to being treated by the world this way. The guy that shows off what he has is used to being shown partiality out there. And the guy who comes in with filthy rags is always treated with disdain. The world. They're used to that. Because everywhere they went, they were being lifted up or put down because of their appearance. And what if, you know, what if maybe, just maybe, both, both of these men thought, You know, when we walk into that assembly, when we walk into that church, they're not going to do that to us. (laughs) They're not going to treat us any different. Because there should be love there. And they should just accept us for for who we are, not for what we have or don't have. Is it possible that those guys walked in and they were treated with, with favoritism and disdain and they thought, what's the difference? What's the difference between what the world does and what they do to us when we walk in? They treat us the same. They do the same thing. There is no difference whatsoever between how the world operates and how the church operates. It may be flattering (laughs) to be treated with favoritism. And it hurts to be treated with disdain, doesn't it? But put yourself in that scenario. Put yourself as one of those men walking in. Pick whichever one you want. Would you want to be treated with that kind of treatment? And some of you would would be going like, yeah, I kind of like being favored. (laughs) I want to be treated with favoritism, partiality. It's like, really, you would? You'd like for people to just like you because of your status? You'd like people to just like you because of what you have and what you have to offer? How would you ever know if they really truly liked you? (laughs) Or they just liked what they could get off of you? That's why they're treating you with favoritism. That's why, because you came in and you looked a certain way and they're going, hmm. (laughs) Would you really like that? If you were in that scenario. Would you like to be treated with disdain? Contempt? Because you didn't look a certain way. And because you didn't look a certain way, they automatically kind of judged you right off the bat and they have no clue what's in the heart. And others... Because they they knew the way you looked, that they could not gain anything from you. And they never even gave you a chance. Ever. (laughs) If truth be told, nobody wants to be judged. Not by our outward appearances. None of us do. I don't think. (laughs) So why should we, as Christians, do that to anybody else? Silence. No. <laughs> it's like, <gasps> so. So getting back to what James is saying, he says, have you not shown partiality in verse 4? Have you not done that among yourself? Guys, it's so easy to do, isn't it? <laughs> I don't care what class you're in. I don't care where you're at. We have all been guilty of this at one time or another. He says, "Haven't you shown partiality by, by doing that?" I, again, I like the way the Amplified puts it. He says, "Are you not discrimi- discrim- discriminating among your own, and become critics and judges with wrong motives?" Whoa! <laughs> Listen to the to what James says about those who might be shown partiality. In verses 5-7 through it says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme and that noble name by which you are called? Again, he's, he's kind of talking about those who are out there, the rich. He's not talking about the rich in the church. He's talking about those who might come into the assembly that, that sometimes it's like, ooh, I know who that is. Oh, he's an uppity-upper kind of guy. Wait a minute, aren't those the same kind of people who, who would be looking down on the poor? And, he, and, he, and he, again, as he's talking about this, aren't those you know, you, it's almost like he's pleading with them when he, he calls them beloved brethren, showing them why it is wrong to show preferential treatment to the rich as they enter the assembly. And and, it, and he does that as he he, he does that by presenting a, a series of questions to them that he knew that they knew the answers to because they had already seen it played out just as we've seen it played out in this day and age. Because you see, things really haven't changed all that much. The truth of the matter is, those who don't know Christ that are rich in that sense, still trust in their riches, like they've always done. If you'd like, turn over to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or just jot it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Some of you guys are familiar with this portion of Scripture. To the end of the chapter there, verse 26, he says, But you see my calling, brethren, or you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise are called, or uh, not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, but of them, but of, of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and the righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. This portion of scripture here is not saying that only the poor can be saved. He's not saying that at all. Nor is he saying that a rich man can never be saved. That's not what it's saying here. It's just giving us the reality that oftentimes God chooses the base things, the things that don't amount to much, to raise them up. Because all too often the rich are doing what they're, they're doing, they're trusting in their riches. And all too often it's the rich who have no need to trust in a Savior. All too often, because they have the riches to trust in. They, they, They don't need anything else. To them, it's all about the here and now. It doesn't matter about the by and by. It's all about the here and now, because I got it all. All too often, they are the ones that are looking down on those who need that hope of salvation. Because they have nothing. The rich man doesn't need that kind of hope because he has all he he needs, oftentimes. This is what Jesus said about the rich man in Matthew 19, verses 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It, it, it's not impossible for a, a rich man to be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. With him it is possible. He, it, it is possible with God for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It is, there is a possibility. I can't understand it. It's impossible for me. But for him it is possible. It's, it is possible, for some, but it's hard, he says. It's, it's hard for the rich man because he cannot serve two masters, Jesus said in another portion of Scripture. He, he has to choose between the two. And oftentimes he goes for what he can touch and feel now. It feels better to him. But he has to choose between the two of who he will serve and who he will trust. More often than not, most of the time, most of the time when, when, when it, it is the, the rich man who comes against the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's those of influence who, who belittle and humiliate and, and dishonor the poor, the one who has nothing. Oh, look at you, you need a crutch. <laughs> you can't be successful like me. Oftentimes, it's those same people who blaspheme and slander that noble name, as James puts it, the name of Jesus. Jesus came as a poor man, and he did that on purpose. And We need to understand that. Because he understands what the poor go through, and he can relate to them. And we can relate to Jesus because he came as a poor man. Because even the riches of the rich can be brought down to nothing. In an instant, oftentimes that happens. We've seen that played out. And that's when they cry out because they have nothing else to go for. And sometimes it's allowed so that they could look up. But also, many of the rich have started off poor. So they know what it means. And so even the rich can relate to Jesus because they could be as poor as anybody else. But if Jesus would have come as a rich man, not too many people in the world throughout the ages would have been able to associate with them or relate to him. Because most in the world throughout the ages have never been able to reach that 1% of the 1%. It, 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 throughout the ages. It's just never been like that. But he came as a poor man so he can identify with the poor. Again, it's not impossible for the rich man to be saved. But they trust in their riches oftentimes. Verses 8 and 9. says, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality... You commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. The royal law is associated with the law of liberty that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Which is the law of Christ. Which translates into love. <laughs> That's what the, law, the royal law is. Love. He, he shares that there. If you love your neighbor, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law. It boils down to love. This is what Jesus said in another portion of Matthew, chapter 22, 35 to 40. It says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs, hang the, the law and the prophets. Everything can be summed up in this, Jesus is saying. Everything you've ever heard about, everything you've known about, can be summed up in loving God and loving others. That is the royal law. If you love your neighbor as yourself, it tells us you will do well. It will go well with you if you love your neighbor as yourself. Because the royal law was decreed by the king of kings himself. The royal law is fit for a king. And it is considered the king of laws. You want to be treated with respect, dignity, and love? I think all of us do, don't we? I think we all want to be treated with dignity, with respect, dignity, and love. I don't care who you are, rich or poor. <laughs> you want to be treated with respect, dignity, and love. You could have had the worst of of, of of lives, or you could have been raised with the the silver spoon in your mouth. Everybody wants to be treated with respect, dignity, and love. So, if we want to be treated with respect, dignity, and love, shouldn't we be wanting to treat others that way? Shouldn't we want to treat others as we want them to treat us? Isn't that like the golden rule? Or something like that in the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) It it boils down to this. Love is right and favoritism is sin. Love is right every time. Every time. Favoritism is wrong or sin every time. There's no room to wiggle here. It's love or favoritism. If you show love, it is right. If you show favoritism, it says here, you commit sin. You commit sin. So whether others are rich or poor, they are, they are to be treated the same no better, no worse. Because you could you could do the opposite. You could go overboard. You, you, you could be sitting there going, oh my gosh, I have been so judgmental. I, 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 I kind of, I'm attracted to those people who have all the bling. Uh, I've been so, you know what? I'm going to change my ways. I am going to despise them and I'm going to love, treat with partiality, the poor. Wrong! It's still sin. It's still sin. If you've reversed it, it's sin. Don't, don't think like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. No. Just treat everybody equal. That's what we're being called to do. To, to, to change it all the way, it's like, no, you're still excluding someone. Partiality either way becomes sin. God sees us as equals, and so should we see others as equals. Leviticus 19.15 says this, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Don't go either way. Just, just stay even. (laughs) Treat everybody the way you want to be treated. Everybody. It's like well, even yeah, everybody. But how about yes, everybody? (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. The way you want to be treated, treat others that way. Man, what a concept, huh? Wish I would have came up with that. But it's right here. It's so plain. Verses 10 through 11, or 10 through 13. It says, For whatever or whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The law that is mentioned here in in verse 10 is talking about the law of Moses. Understand that the law of Moses that we learned about in the book of Hebrews is not the royal law. The law of liberty (laughs) is not the same thing. It is the law of judgment. The law of Moses is the law of judgment. Which Jesus came to fulfill. So that he can implement... (laughs) The royal law, which is the law of love. Again, that's why Jesus comes to do that. He fulfills the law by dying on the cross so that because he loved the world so much, he wants us to love just like he loved. James wants his readers to understand that when we show partiality, we are in fact reverting back to the law of judgment. Instead of moving forward in the law of love, every time we show partiality, we're going back to the law of judgment. We are not progressing, we're not maturing in the law of love. Now, as we learned on Thursday night, again, through the Sermon on the Mount, as David Jenks was sharing, in Matthew 7 1 and 2, he says, Do not judge that you may not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I I, I know people say, well, you're not supposed to judge. It's like, no, we are to judge. (laughs) But understand that if you are judging with the law of judgment, it will be coming back to you in that form. (laughs) But if you are judging with the law of judge, without partiality, being just... They will come back to you in that same measure. We are to judge in that way. <laughs> the law of, of Moses carries no mercy. It carries no mercy. It only brought about judgment. And even though someone might say, well, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't murdered anyone, I'm not as bad as those guys. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, as he carried it a step further, as he upped the ante in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, if you have thought it in your heart, you have done it in your heart. You're just as guilty. And so he kind of takes that away. Well, I haven't done that. It's like, yeah, but it's not like your little mind, your own perv up there. Come on. You're just as Perverted. If, if if you've hated somebody, you've murdered them in your heart, and so he takes away that whole thing. We are all guilty. James here wants to get across to his readers, who might be thinking, "Well, partiality is not all that big." He's saying, "No, it is. It is big. It should not be happening in our lives as Christians." Because they, like us in one sense, (laughs) wouldn't want to be treated or mistreated due to partiality. None of us would want to. None of us want to be treated or mistreated due to partiality. It would be safe to say that the believer wants to be dealt with with the royal law. I know I do. (laughs) Why should we then as believers deal with others with the law of judgment? Because you don't want to be judged in that way. Nor do I. <laughs> I want mercy. I want to be treated with mercy. And there is no way to to justify partiality in my life. Not in the life of a believer. There is no way to, to, to justify partiality in the church. Not if we are trying to hold onto the faith because people get hurt with partiality either way it's wrong and it is sin this is how Jesus sees those of us who are in Christ this is the way he sees us. Galatians 3.28 there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus We are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, that's the way he sees us. If we have received mercy, and and mercy means not getting what you deserve. (laughs) Judgment means getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. If we have received mercy, then we are able to give it out. How can we not show mercy if we have been shown so much mercy in our lives? The Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. (laughs) You did nothing to receive that mercy, but He gave you it anyways. He dropped the charges on you. Why shouldn't you do the same? Mercy triumphs over judgment. If someone is guilty of something That they did to me. And I showed them mercy. Then then mercy has won out over judgment. Judgment has lost. And mercy has ruled the day. Mercy has triumphed. In the end. I want to stand before God. And I want to receive all the mercy. He has to offer. All of it. I don't want to stand before, the, before God and say, I want justice. <laughs> uh-uh. No way, Jose. I want mercy when I stand before God. And He came and He paid the price so that I can have mercy. If I want the royal law to judge me, then I need to live by the royal law. And if I am living by the royal law, I will not be showing partiality to any. That's what my heart is. I tell you, it's been a hard week preparing for the study. <laughs> Again, it's like, ah! It's in my face every stinking day that I have to make this decision. It's like, Lord, I don't want to see them anyway, but you, the way you see, I want to treat them. So good luck as you leave this place. <laughs> Good luck. Because you will battle this just like every one of us have. Every day. You've been shown mercy. Show mercy. You have that that decision to make each and every day, just like I do. (laughs) Let's stand as we pray because you need prayer, I need prayer. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much for just your goodness and your grace, Lord. Thank you for your word that is so straight up. It's just like, bam, it's there for us. (laughs) And it's convicting because every one of us has failed in this, Lord. We have all failed. And each one of us, I know, especially if we're saved, each one of us wants to be dealt with With the law of mercy and with the law, the royal law, the law of love. We don't want to face judgment, Lord. We understand what that means. And so, Lord, I pray for strength. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would give them wisdom and understanding, Lord God, of when they're failing in being partial. That you convict their hearts that they are sinning and transgressing. Bring them to a place of repentance and correction help them, I pray, each and every moment, as it will be difficult. I ask, God, that you give them wisdom and strength. Lord, I praise you, Lord, for your kindness that you have shown towards us because of your Son. Lord, I pray that you would deal with us, Lord, as we repent of partiality, if we have to get anything straight with anybody else, Lord, that we might walk in that royal law that you've called us to walk in because that's what we want to receive. Help us to give that out, I pray. Father, I do pray for even the, the prayer teams that are up here. As those who might come up, Lord God, asking for prayer because they've been guilty, that Jesus, you would just give the prayer teams wisdom as they pray because they can identify with them as well. And I just pray, God, that you would just help us to walk closer to you, to reflect you, Lord, that we might give it out. I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for what you're going to do in the lives of my brothers and sisters. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.